0: Four years ago, I essentially went on an all-consuming quest to understand the American presidency, all 230 or so years of it. Well, around the same time that I started working on the presidential podcast, early in the 2016 campaign, one of my colleagues at The Post had started on his own ambitious quest.
1: In fact, in in the summer of, of 2015, When Trump was suddenly doing very well in the polls for the Republican nomination, I approached my editor and said, hey, what if I read a bunch of Trump's books um, just to see what they tell us about him?
0: This is Carlos Lozada. He's The Post's nonfiction book critic.
1: And he liked the idea, but he told me to to hurry because, you know, interest will probably not last that long, you know, and and I, I thought the same thing.
0: So Carlos started reading. He read eight books. Three were memoirs, including The Art of the Deal. Three were business advice books. And two were books about politics. Carlos thought that might be the extent of his reading about Trump.
1: But he started winning primaries. And suddenly there's all these white working class books that were coming out.
0: Books like Hillbilly Elegy and White Trash and Strangers in Their Own Land.
1: So I started reviewing those because people wanted to hear about this segment of Trump's support base.
0: Then Trump won the presidency.
1: And there's all these resistance books that start coming out.
0: Rules for resistance, American resistance, one nation after Trump.
1: So I start reading those.
0: And that's when Carlos realized that his own experience of the Trump administration was about to be defined by this ongoing effort. Carlos was going to try to understand the battles and the changes and the conversations going on in our country through the books that were being published, through the broad range of voices who were trying to be heard in this moment.
1: And so I started doing that, whether it was books about conservatism or books about truth. Um, I decided I wanted to try to look at this more broadly and not just look at books one at a time, but try to think about what they were telling us collectively uh, about Trump, about the country.
0: Carlos is now four-plus years into that relentless exercise. And he's read how many Trump-related books?
1: Um, I say 150, uh, which is probably rounding down.
0: He's still reading and reading and reading, But just recently, he published a book of his own called What Were We Thinking? A Brief Intellectual History of the Trump Era. It's sort of Carlos Lozada's version of the presidential podcast. It's his effort to catalog, but even more, to connect all of the things he's been learning. Back in 2016, when Carlos was still in the early days of his Trump reading list, he came on the Ulysses S. Grant episode of Presidential to talk about Grant's memoirs. You might remember listening to that. We talked about what that book revealed, both about Grant, the person, and also about the nature of the nation and the presidency during the Civil War era. So, it's now with both admiration and appreciation for his zealous commitment to the books on the presidency that I am excited to share with you, presidential listeners, my latest conversation with Carlos Lozada. I'm Lillian Cunningham with The Washington Post, and this is a special episode of Presidential. Presidential.
1: resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow.
0: What your country can do for you.
1: A date which will
0: live in infamy. In 1821, so five years before he died, Thomas Jefferson, one of the most iconic wordsmiths of early America, wrote an autobiography. Or, as Jefferson put it, quote, Some recollections of dates and facts concerning myself. In 1852, Franklin Pierce approved the publication of The Life of Franklin Pierce, It was a glowing biography of him. He was then a presidential candidate. And it was written by his friend, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Now, former and would-be presidents haven't always captured their lives in books. But writings, both by presidents and about presidents, have for a really long time played a role in how their presidential images are shaped books have been key to how we understand presidents and how we as citizens understand the arc of American history. It turns out that positive books written about a president don't necessarily beget positive legacies. That's not really the case because time has a way of correcting the record. Instead, what's important here is that The printed word enables us to explore and remember, and most of all, to re-examine. It's no coincidence that some of the most forgotten presidents, presidents like Chester Arthur, are also the ones who burned their papers. They're the ones who left us so little to read. These days, it seems that every presidential administration ushers in a larger wave of books, You can see that as self-preserving when they're memoirs, or as self-serving when the author of the books has a lot to gain financially or politically from publishing it. But you can also see it as an act of civic engagement, as a way of further democratizing the presidency, of holding it accountable to more and more voices, creating space for more and more narrators of our nation's story. So what does the vast landscape of books in the Trump era start to tell us about ourselves and the story we're narrating? We have as our guide, post-nonfiction book critic and author of What Were We Thinking, Carlos Lozada. All right, Carlos, so you read Ulysses S. Grant's memoir in, I guess that was spring of 2016.
1: Is that so, when that was? Oh my God. Okay.
0: Yeah. So more than four years ago, I think it, it must've been late April, probably. Uh, that's how I think about presidents, <laughs> my timeline. So that would have put that pretty early in this exercise that you did of digging into all the Trump literature. Since then, you've read, as you say, more than 150 books of the Trump era.
1: I think someone did a tally that at this point in the Obama presidency there had been maybe you know four hundred or five hundred books about Obama, which sounds like a lot, but in the equivalent period in the Trump presidency there's been about twelve hundred. Uh, you know, so i've I've only I've only read a, a small fraction of those. When you when you when you look at it that way,
0: <laughs> well, the books that you've read aren't just biographies of Trump or accounts from inside the White House. There are also books that more broadly are creating a dialogue about who we are as a country today. Um, there are books about the Me Too movement. There are books about the direction the Republican Party needs to head. There are books about the evolution and the erosion of democracy in America. Is it is it unique for a presidency to spawn just such an outpouring of soul-searching into who we are as a nation?
1: I think we always have those kinds of writings and those kinds of debates. And that's what I love about one of the things I love about, about the United States, right? It's It has defined itself in writing from the very beginning, right? From Thomas Paine's common sense, right? On On, on forward. This is a country that um, you know, fights in many ways, but it fights on paper it It fights in writing and but I think that's that's part of who we are. Um, you know the the notion of America as an idea is 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 a is a cliche, but it's also true. And so we fight over that idea in a lot of ways. but um I love that we fight about it in in books.
0: so you actually have a line in your book that I underlined where you say, Histories connecting the Trump era to the long arc of America's democratic struggle feel particularly essential now. So I'm curious, you know, through this exercise of reading all these books, what is it that you feel like you've learned about where the Trump presidency sits in this arc of presidential history?
1: We look for ways in which it's unprecedented, in which it's different, in which it's unique. But one thing that comes across very clearly is that it's right smack in the middle of the arc of America. All the big debates we're having now are ever-present in the American experience. Uh, If you read Erica Lee's America for Americans, uh, you see... Uh, just a a relentless case that, as much as America has defined itself as a nation of immigrants, you know, living alongside that tradition is a a strong and constant strain of xenophobia and of of the rejection of outsiders. If you read a book like Carol Anderson's "One Person, No Vote," you see the evolution and persistence. Of efforts to restrict voting rights and to suppress the vote. Uh, If you read a book like Jill Lepore's These Truths, you see this enduring struggle to live up to those self-evident truths of the Declaration of Independence. And you realize that all these fights that we're having in the Trump era are not an outlier. They are not just a a feature of the American experience but in some ways it's its definition that 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 battle is what it means to engage in civic life in America and in some ways that's both incredibly depressing and also in some ways kind of uplifting because it just means that okay now now we're up now 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 it's 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 our turn to engage in that fight. And what is perhaps unprecedented about the Trump era is that we're having all of them all at once, right? All these, all these different and enduring battles uh, seem to be all, all happening together.
0: So do you feel like you've landed for yourself on, you know, a sense of at the core, what it is that makes Trump's presidency different from other presidencies? I feel like that's a question I get a lot, having done the presidential podcast, you know, that that question of, well, how unprecedented do you think he really is?
1: I think part of it is the and, and this is something you can glean from reading these books, but also just from, you know, watching the Trump presidency in action and is that he doesn't even attempt to try to expand his base of support. He doesn't make even a lip service effort to uh, say that he's the president for all Americans, and that is something that usually leaders who are elected with a you know less than strong mandate from the public feel they have to do. Feel they have to try to 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 reach out to find middle ground to. To convince people of the rightness of their views you know and actions and beliefs, and Trump simply doesn't try to do that he he governs like the permanent outsider kind of rabble rouser on the sidelines even when he's in power to me that's been one of the one of the most un- unprecedented parts of of watching Trump in action there's also been a lot of uh just what has become popularly known as sort of the breaking of norms, right that you there's been these norms of of behavior that have slowly grown up around the presidency, and Trump, either out of ignorance of them or indifference to them, uh, just doesn't follow them um, one One of the most useful books I read in this period is called "Unmaking the Presidency" by Susan Hennessy and Benjamin Wittes and it explores that issue precisely like how these norms around the presidency were built up over time and what it means for a president to just kind of gleefully disregard them and whether that's the you know regarding the the independence of the justice department for instance or or anything else and for them you know it's it's this idea that this is a incessantly performative presidency. And that's that's a theme that comes up in a lot of the books surrounding surrounding Trump.
0: I think that because Trump is so present in public life, there's almost a sense that, you know, even without having read all the books that you've read, that people sort of understand his leadership style, you know, they, they see kind of every day on the news, on Twitter, how he operates. So, you know, I'm curious what you feel like are some new insights that you gleaned from reading all these books that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have absorbed just by being kind of an average citizen observer of the presidency.
1: Right the The weird thing about Trump is that, for all his dishonesty, uh, I mean, one of the books was written by our our fact checking team, you know, that catalogs just the relentless wave of you know falsehoods uh, that Trump, for all his dishonesty, there's really not a lot of artifice there he He presents as he is in in a sense it was it was easy to see a lot of this coming. I read several of. Trump's own books spanning the the 80s and 90s and and more recently. And yes, these are all ghostwritten books, but even ghostwritten books reveal something about the subject, Uh, just like like propaganda reveals its intentions, right? In these ghostwritten books, you you see all the qualities that we've come to know so well of Trump in the White House, his sense of, of grievance and his vengefulness, his insecurities, his mistrust of the press, yet his... Incessant quest for its approval, right? His his willingness to 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 deceive, to to denigrate opponents. It's all there. It's all in from the art of the deal on forward. Uh, so the the Trump years can be shocking, but if you read his own words, they really wouldn't be all that surprising. Now, what I've learned more specifically about Trump in the White House is that this notion that he's this strategic thinker and master of misdirection that he's trying to you know remove attention from one scandal by opening up another kind of feels like like nonsense i think that he makes decisions very impulsively and instinctively and predictably in the sense that whatever whatever view of his own interest emerges is always what, what prevails, right? Even if there's matters of, of high principle, like, you know, what judge you appoint to the Supreme Court or whatever, it always ends up being just a matter of kind of like naked political survival. So it always makes me laugh a little bit when I hear um, or when I read, especially uh, resistance type writers, you know, saying like, Trump's not my president. Of course not. Like, he's the one who made that choice. Long before you, you, you declaring it isn't what made it so. You know he governs for himself, for his base, uh, for his family in some ways, and so I feel that that Trump has managed to shock without um, always managing to really surprise anymore.
0: Have you seen any change in the type of people who are writing books about the presidency today, like? More journalists are writing books. More insiders are writing books.
1: I think one thing we're seeing now is a lot more uh, former officials from presidential administrations writing memoirs uh, well before the presidents are even out of office, right? That used to be something that was frowned upon. George Stephanopoulos' memoir of the Clinton years, for for example.
0: And just... As an aside, Stephanopoulos served as communications director and advisor for Bill Clinton. But then he published a tell-all memoir about his time in the White House in 1999.
1: Right. There was a huge controversy over the fact that, that he wrote it while Clinton was still in office. Um, and so I think that sort of uh, agree that tacit agreement you know that you'll you'll hold your fire until until later on is is just gone uh and especially with this administration, you're seeing such a revolving door of people people leaving the administration early and immediately is like you know heading straight to a to a literary agent to then come out with their books
0: so Richard Goodwin, who was an aide to Lyndon Johnson, wrote something of a tell all about Johnson's presidency and how he handled Vietnam. But that book didn't come out until 20 years after Johnson left office. And then there's the book by George Stephanopoulos that came out seven years into Clinton's presidency. But then you have a book like Fire and Fury, right, by Michael Wolff, which is one of the books you studied. And that came out only two years into Trump's presidency. So for those of us who are, you know, average citizens trying to just better understand the presidency what do you think we lose and you know what do we gain maybe from the fact that it seems like this this publishing process um of presidential books is getting so sped up
1: the the rush of books in the moment are exciting and 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 certainly helpful but they're the very first draft of the first draft the thing about Fire and Fury is that it, it was such a, it was, it was the first, it was such a huge publishing event. It sold like crazy. I remember when I got it, I had to basically stay up all night reading it to sort of post my review the next day doing, I, and I had to do that several times during the, during the Trump presidency. I did that with, with, um, with Jim Comey's memoir, but It's sort Fire and Fury sort of set a a template for a lot of the even more rigorously reported Trump books to follow. You know, it was all about, you know, getting the craziest anecdote, the most, you know, oh my God moment about what was going on, to the point that it makes you feel like, you know, the chaos is all there is. I think that it's been hard to shake Fire and Fury and not just for the authors but also for the way we then talk about these books what what gets reported on and discussed on cable and everything else about a lot of these books is just whatever the most unbelievable anecdote is and not necessarily some of the most significant you know revelations in those books it's all about the 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 mayhem inside the administration, and you know people steal documents off his desk, or you know like all this all this this kind of chaos inside the White House, and yet, what I've come to through this process of reading all these books is that the books that have been most meaningful to me have been those that take you out of that bubble out of the ones that try to place this within a a larger context of the American story, we are better served when we don't obsess over President Trump himself. But when we think about what this era, what the forces that led to Trump and Trumpism say about us as a country.
0: Yeah, and so I think that helps explain why, you know, when you review and write about Trump-era books, you're really defining that quite broadly, right? You know, it's not all fire and fury. I mean, you include sweeping American history books like These Truths by Jill Lepore Mm -hmm. and The Soul of America by John Meacham. And then also books like How to Be an Anti-Racist and I'm Still Here and The Line Becomes a River dispatches from the border, right?
1: I I think there is definitely something to that. I think that you have you have different kinds of trump books and there are the insider accounts and the and the journalistic accounts that are obsessively sort of zeroed in on what's happening in the White House. And there's there's value to those, but I think the kind of thing that you're talking about is found in a whole other set of, of Trump books that are, in a way, derived from what's happening in the White House because they build off of the major controversies and debates of this time, whether it's over immigration or identity or gender equality and and they are opportunities for writers to, especially memoirists, for instance, to, to put their story into that conversation. And uh, there have been wonderful immigration memoirs that are not specifically about the family separation policy, right? But that are an incredible window into that world. There's been an explosion of writing and analysis and memoirs on identity writ large and that is a huge part of the debate during the Trump years without having to be focused on Donald Trump himself. Some of the best books, the most essential books of the Trump era are not about Trump at all or have him purely as a secondary figure lurking in the background.
0: So I suppose my last question for you is When you put all of this together, you know, your dive into the intricacies of the Trump presidency, but also your long traverse through books about the history of the republic and the future of democracy, you know, does all of this leave you with the sense that we are experiencing right now a fundamental change in the course of this nation? Or does it leave you with the feeling that what we're doing is really just continuing our journey along the same path.
1: I, I'm reminded of the of the line that you know the the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And and I think that not just the Trump era, but I think the the American story in general suggests that yes, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards who knows. Right, it it bends towards uh, towards uncertainty. You know, there's no reason to think that that things will kind of work out in the end. You know, depending whatever your definition of 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 workout is, and so I think there there is a sense in which some of these books persuasively make the case that we're in a moment of of peril about about um, American democracy, and so I don't think there's anything. Inevitable about the persistence of America's democratic values, uh, I think it's it's something that needs to be constantly safeguarded and and protected.
0: To end this episode, I'm going to read just a couple lines from Carlos's book. Here's the quote: "The American experiment." is not just worth the fight, it is synonymous with it. That is the fullness of its meaning. With passions always strained, the bonds of affection always near the breaking point, the pursuit of freedom and prosperity and belonging is an endless American struggle. An enterprise in equal measures, exhausting exasperating, and exhilarating. Many thanks to my colleague Carlos Lozada for sharing his time and insights for this episode. Once again, Carlos is the nonfiction book critic for The Post. You can read his reviews on WashingtonPost.com. He's also the author of a new book called What Were We Thinking? A Brief Intellectual History of the Trump Era. Also, very, very many thanks to the great producer who worked on this with me, Bishop Sand, to the director of audio, Jess Stahl, and to art director, Rachel Orr. You can check back for more special episodes of Presidential that we'll be putting out in the weeks ahead. And in the meantime, you can find me and Presidential on Twitter and on Instagram. As a little bonus, I asked Carlos to recommend five books that were published in the Trump era that he would particularly recommend for Presidential listeners. And I'll share his list of those five books on... Twitter and Instagram if you want to check them out there. I'm Lillian Cunningham. Thank you so much, as always, for listening.